Welcome to Your Own Words, a podcast that celebrates the love of reading with real people and real books, both critically acclaimed and slated. Listeners are encouraged to read along and join the journey to the libraries of friends newly discovered. This podcast may contain spoilers, feminist rants, curse words and mispronunciations of names, cities and more. happy to see you too yeah uh it's nice to record in the morning we haven't been able to do this for ages because we've been in north america we have spent a lot of, t- a lot of time in north america um, it is nice because like, the day is bright and the birds are singing and um yeah yeah other it's lovely poetic stuff. things about mornings <laughs> that's what that's what i'm bringing to the table today um how i love it i'm here for it since was it last I week? Did we am, I don't even remember. I don't even know. And even if we did, by the time this comes out, who knows when it will be. It'll be, I mean, pubs will be open inside, I think, by the time this comes out. Oh, God. How? I can't even. Hello, future open. <laughs> yeah. Future us. I t- um... What is time? <laughs> the measure of all things. What will future us be doing? Maybe we'll be at a pub together. Potentially. That would be lovely. I haven't seen your actual face in the real world in a long time. I it would like to do that. It doesn't look any better there than it does here. <laughs> also, last time I went into the actual world, I literally broke my body. So, um, yeah. Yeah, do you want to talk about that? <laughs> I, you know... So Beck, uh, <laughs> Beck's uh, got a one hand. I have one You know that saying... I feel like um, this is a really good opportunity. Carry on. Oh, I was just going to say this is a really good opportunity to just like shout out the NHS, not for oh, yeah. um, all of their incredible work during this pandemic, but um, just like thanks for this whole free healthcare <laughs> thing, because otherwise Beck would be homeless and uh, because hell. she breaks herself all the time. And if we had medical bills, <laughs> we would not be able to make this podcast. <laughs> I would be dead. I would literally be deceased. So thank you. This podcast not sponsored by the NHS. <laughs> Well, in a manner of speaking, <laughs> it is kind of real life. <laughs> Thank you, NHS, for allowing us to talk crap for an hour. Yeah, um, actually, you know what? I think I'm ready to talk about my NHS news. Should we just do NHS news, like back and forth for a bit? Yeah, this is NHS corner. <laughs> this is the um, NHS hour. <laughs> I have not publicly declared this anywhere as of yet um but i think i'm ready or i'm predicting that by the time this episode airs (laughs) so i have been on a journey the last few months trying to figure out my own brain um and i got a sneaking suspicion somewhere around the end of last year that i might have uh a neurological neuro see i don't even know (laughs) how what the words are for it yet um but something with my brain amiss um it is neurodiversity is what it's called but it is a neurodevelopmental disorder anyway um after some nhs referrals and research and assessments uh it turns out that your good friend allison and this will be shocking to no one that knows me uh i have adhd 
Um, and so I have been diagnosed at age 34 um, with ADHD, which is basically a condition that has caused me my whole life to struggle with certain things like patience um, and, and uh, uh, focus. Um, it actually, ADHD stands for Alison Dunnings has disorder. <laughs> oh, it really does. <laughs> right? Am I right? You're right. You're right. Literally. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, um, <laughs> I am still figuring out what this all means. Uh, it's still, uh, it's basically one, one journey's conclusion has led to a whole new journey um, of figuring out how my brain works. And there's a lot of kind of negative things that have had a negative impact on my life, but also a lot of superpowers like really getting excited about new ideas like podcasts and demanding everyone get on board and get on the, the ride with me. Um, so in part, this this podcast is a, uh, a symptom <laughs> <laughs> of my insanity. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to have this diagnosis. It explains a lot. It's taken a lot of shame and self-criticism uh, away and given me a sense of understanding and context for why I am the way I am. Um, and so it's kind of exciting. And I just thought that it would be nice to just like put it out there in case there's, you know, anyone else that has it or thinks they might have it. Like you can totally get a diagnosis <laughs> in your middle age um, and uh, figure yourself out. It's never too late to find out what's happening with your brain. Yeah. <laughs> It, I think we're often we think these kind of neurologic neuro, neurodiversity whatever these neurological issues that we have like autism ADHD all of those kind of things we tend to associate with childhood or at least being identified in childhood so then it can be really hard when you're an adult and you're just like well this is just how I've always lived I don't have a like mm -hmm. it's it's just me I'm just like this um and there's a I feel like there's a lot more stigma mm -hmm. maybe as people are older to revisit some of these ideas because essentially you know you you grow up learning to manage things that you're struggling with and you develop certain behaviors to deal with those things and actually also maybe some of those coping strategies are not that helpful to you either but they've just become the way that you live so getting to your 30s and thinking oh hold up a second maybe all of the ways I'm living are not super great for me and maybe actually there's an underlying issue that might help me live better is for one thing a little bit terrifying but also because we tend to associate these things with being picked up when you're at school or being picked up by parents, there's a hell of a lot of other stuff that comes with it. You know, why did no one notice? Um, what Have I got worse over time? Am I always going to be like this? It brings up so many more questions than if you're, say, seven, eight, nine, and you're like, you are able to learn with all those resources of understanding. Um, but it's worth, it's always worth exploring and finding out if there are ways that you can help yourself whatever in whatever forum that is me for example won't be opening doors again anytime soon because I might break something else <laughs> <laughs> we're always learning there's always more to learn <laughs> uh, yeah I mean there are lessons there's lessons to be learned I think you're right though there's um there is an element of you know there's basically a slippery slope I could go down, which I'm glad to say I haven't, which is a lot of like, what if 
what if this had been caught in childhood? What would my life have been like? What what things could I have done differently to have avoided certain things that have, you know, happened? But, you know, the past is the past. And like, I'm, I'm more focused on, it's, it's kind of exciting. Like I now get to discover myself in a new way. And there's a, there's a reason. I think that's the biggest thing. Cause like you said, it's like, you just think this is the way I am. This is the way I've always been. And there's, for me, there was a lot of like self-criticism there. There was a lot of self-loathing there. Like, why are you so bad at this? Why can't you just do things like you, the, I think the most frustrating thing for me with the ADHD is like, I know what I should be doing. I know what I have to do in order to get from A to B, but I just don't do it. And I don't know why I don't do it. Like, why am I incapable, it seems, of doing this thing? And that was the cause of so much frustration. And I said to several like professionals, you know, I've been treated for di- uh, for I've been treated for diagnosis. <laughs> I've been treated for depression for years now. Um, and what I had always kind of said to any professional I talked to, whether it be a counselor or a doctor was like, I don't know why I don't do these things. Like if we can find the reason why I can't seem to do these things, then we'll really have something. And I never thought I was going to get an answer to that. I thought it was just depression and I couldn't be arsed and I just didn't have the motivation. And I just, you know, I thought it was all of these things that I was just shit at things or I was just rubbish at certain life skills. And now suddenly it's like, oh, the answer, (laughs) like there's the reason that you never thought you were going to get. That was always this sort of this, this rhetorical question of like, if you can tell me why I'm, you know, not doing things to to make my life better, then we'll get somewhere. And now I know why. And that's yeah. insane. It's like a really, really cool thing. Um, See, I also so, don't do yeah. things and don't have my life together, but that is because I'm shit. That's the difference between you and I. No diagnosis for me. Just <laughs> literally, I'm, I'm just a bit rubbish and lazy. And every time I move, I break something. So <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm just like this. That's fine. I mean, the every time you move, you break something thing is true, but I don't think you are rubbish or lazy. So uh, cease and desist talking about my best friend that way, you dick. Um, thank you for coming to the NHS hour, everybody. NHS hour. Let's talk about medicine. We do love the NHS, um, but we should probably talk about books. You know what would be really great? If there was a book that was about the NHS, then we could like put together our two loves. Um, and really, really explore in some depth um, the relationship between healthcare and literature. Well, you know what? I I think that this book, in a way, um, just ties into this a bit because it is a bit about self-discovery, um, figuring your out your skills and your talents mm-hmm. and your superpowers, even if you don't nice, think you're very strong. Nice segue. Thank you. But I, it's legitimately true. We will talk about that. Um, I think that's what I took away from this book. Anyway. You did do quite well there. Well done. Not even a cheesy segue. It was actually a really nice <laughs> Okay. One. Do you want to... Who's up? You're up. I'm up. Um, so... Do you want to tell us some stuff and things? I would love to do that. Um, I will tell you about this wonderful author... Um, (laughs) so I've got my post-it note on how to correctly pronounce her name. Um, this is a Japanese book, so please bear with me. Uh, we do say in the intro, there will be mispronunciations galore. So yeah. Um, so 
Natsu Miyashita was born in Fuki Prefecture on Honshu Island, Japan. She became an avid reader at a young age and loved to write in school. After graduating with a degree in philosophy from Sophia University in Tokyo, she got married and returned to Fuki. It was not until her mid-30s, when she was pregnant with her third child, that she began writing fiction, in part out of a fear that her life might otherwise be reduced to nothing but child-rearing. Respect. I feel the same. <laughs> the resulting novella, Shizuka Naame, Quiet Rain, received an honorable mention in the 2004 Bungakukyai, that's definitely butchered, prize for new writers competition. Encouraged, she continued writing. Her 2007 novel, Shkole Number no. 4, put her in the spotlight thanks to a group of bookstore attendants who started a spontaneous Twitter campaign to promote the pocket paperback edition of the book when it was published. Someone is Missing, a volume of linked stories with a touch of mystery, was voted seventh in the 2011 Booksellers Award balloting, and her novel A Forest of Wool and Steel not only took the top spot for the 2016 Booksellers Award, but was shortlisted for the prestigious Naoki Prize. It has also been turned into a popular Japanese film, directed by Kojiro Hashimoto and starring Kento Yamazaki. And that bio... Here I thought we weren't going to have another film. I yeah, obviously I have not watched this film, but one. yeah, uh, I assume it's very beautiful. Actually, I might take a look and see if I can find a subtitled one. Um, but yes, that bio came uh, was slightly edited, but came from Konbuncha, which is the Japanese publisher of this book. You did very well. I mean, you did well, and then I added the very to make you feel better. But you you did you did your best. <sighs> <laughs> which is all we can expect from you given given the difficulties that we now know that you have so well done for sticking with that wow um i'm also going to butcher uh some things in the synopsis because of the difficulties that i have um but yet again we are with one of our dear synopsis friends waterstones who are really just like slamming it out the park at the moment it's like they had nothing to do when all their shops were closed so they just really indulged mm. in um synopsis writing uh, <laughs> I feel like that's an entirely accurate portrayal of the Waterstones business model so today's book Forest of Will and Steel as Alison said is about Tamora who is startled by the hypnotic sound of a piano being tuned in his school it seeps into his soul and transports him to the forests dark and gleaming that surround his beloved mountain village from that moment he is determined to discover more under the tutelage of three master piano tutors, one humble, one jovial, one ill-tempered, Tamara embarks on his training, never straying too far from the single, unfathomable question, do I have what it takes? Set in small town Japan, this warm and mystical story is for the lucky few who have found their calling, and for the rest of us who are still searching. It shows that the road to finding one's purpose is a winding path, often filled with the treacherous doubts and, for those who persevere, astonishing moments of revelation. Thank you, Waterstones. I enjoyed reading that synopsis. It's quite lovely. I almost cried. That is, like, the best synopsis we've ever had. Right? Because doesn't it, like, create a feeling of warmth that you just want to, like, you want to go on that journey? I'm emotional. You understand what yeah. they're saying and you want to be on that path. Yeah. High five, Waterstones. Waterstones. You literally... You have nailed lockdown. <laughs> wow. Beautiful. I would read that book again. And from 
one of the best synopsis or the best synopsis I think we've ever had. Uh, I would ha- I would say that this is probably the best guest bio that we have received, in my opinion. Um, no offense to anyone else's bios, but this is this made me laugh out loud, and I've actually mm-hmm. read it aloud to people at pubs because I'm like, you guys, listen to this bio; it's the greatest thing I've ever read. Um, they weren't that impressed, but I just think it's wonderful. So I'm really glad that I got to be the one to read it, uh, and I'm very excited to talk to this guest. So, without further ado, <laughs> no pressure for this to be amazing now, but. Um, Jeffrey Bunting grew up reading because he had no friends. Today, he is a writer and a book designer who lives in Norfolk with his cat, reads Lord of the Rings every year, and still has no friends. He studied graphic design in Cambridge, a master's in graphic design at the University of Hertfordshire, and is currently gaining a journalism diploma. He has worked with National Geographic, HarperCollins, Cambridge University Press, as well as other publishers and independent authors. He's written for History Today, Modus, The Historian, Bridge 8, and others. He's really good at tying his shoelaces, and he hates moths. Can he help me out with my shoelaces? Because currently, I only have one hand. <laughs> so that is a struggle that is very, very I real think for me. That's the question. Um, can, we do, can we do that? That'll be my first question. <laughs> Dear Jeffrey. Um, I don't know why I'm doing it like it's a right. letter. He's literally going to be here in two seconds. <laughs> so, hi, Jeffrey. Welcome. Hello. Hello. <laughs> um, very important question I have for you, um, based on having just gone through your intro. So you you can see that I have um, only one arm currently. Um, can you tie my shoelaces for me? Is what I want to know. Oh, I actually don't know. Um, but. <laughs> I'm very good at tying my own shoelaces, but okay. I've my brain isn't very good at doing things. So like doing it in reverse, I think so. I mean, it's it's it, it, it's a joke that comes from the fact that I once watched a TED talk on shoelaces and tying shoelaces. Okay, um, maybe, maybe fact, I need to watch that. <laughs> yeah, that did in fact change my life because I was one of those people whose shoelaces would always just come undone. And then Is there, there a way to make them minutes. not do that? Don't you just double, well, I double knot normally to make sure they don't so come undone? The, when you when you when you're doing you're tying the loops, there's a thing where like if you go under, mm-hmm. it will come undone. But if you go over, it's a stronger knot, according to this video. And so since then, I've been doing that, and my shoelaces never come undone. And that's just uh, with one knot. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. Because really, like doing two knots defeats the object of tying your shoelaces better. Yeah, because then you can't get two knots. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then, oh. then then they become slippers. Um, <laughs> I'm going okay. to a watch this video and b I think I'm going to link it in the show notes because it's already. I mean, very I feel like I've learned a lot. The next time that I am able to put a shoe on with laces, um, I'm going to try that. But that's probably about twelve weeks away. Um, so I'll get back to you, Jeffrey, uh, in some time. <laughs> what? Like, gen- genuinely, like. Um, so do we have more questions? Um, I'm afraid to ask the. Well, I do have a book-related question, but I have another non-book-related question associated with the bio and I think I just have to get it over with even though we're already off the rails but um <laughs> what did moths do to you they're just I don't know I, I I I'm not I'm not I'm not happy around any insects I'm, I'm, I'm a firm believer that skeletons belong on the inside yeah um <laughs> yeah and one of my big kind of 
it's not a fear necessarily, but it's something that will make me kind of just jump and be very upset. Is things flying at me? Um, Moths are and, the worst. Yeah, and like even like a ladybird will just make me go. Um, so <laughs> like moths are because I like butterflies. I think butterflies are lovely, but moths are. are just, I just firstly, I, I think they're very um, they're very rude. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're just like look. I'm a nighttime insect, yeah. but I'm going to steal your lights because I refuse to come out during the day. They are enormous because, mm-hmm. like, small moths are fine, but it's the ones that are like you know, kind of with the, the big furry faces that are like yeah. stare like, you, you know, out. kind of little like flying bears. Yeah, and and they look I, you I right think... in the eye as they come for you yeah. because you know they, they know and you know that there's nothing you can do about it, and they're like. I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. And you can't bat me away because I'm faster. Look at my little fairy and, face. And, and I'm enormous and terrified. Yeah. I, I think I think there are insects which are very respectful of your space, like bees. They come in and they're like, oh my gosh, what's just happened? I've got to find my way out. Yeah. And then there's stuff like wasps, which will just have a look around. Yeah. Um, and I think moths are like that as well. They'll just like, they'll just go like, I'm inside now. It's light. I'm happy. Um, there doesn't appear to be any bats in here. So I'm just going to go have a look around your wardrobe. Uh, I guess, um, but I think I, I think what really kind of bothers me is the sound they make because they that tapping that yeah. when they're like flying Agreed. around the walls and the lights Agreed. is what really kind of makes my my uh, skin crawl. Uh, I... But yeah, I just I just find them very disrespectful of my space. I hate them compared so much. to other insects except wasps. Wasps um, are one of my most hated species. Um, yeah, ever. I just hate the bastards, and I love all living things, but with moths, they're also very like, boring. Ugh. They're like great, like that's what that's the thing. They're like, only there to annoy like, you. Yeah, like butterflies are like bees. They fly and they go. I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> um, and like this, this year, every time I've t- and and last year, every time I've told a bee to get out, it has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas moths are very grey and boring, so they're not nice to look at, and they just stay there, and they will stay in the same spot for days until they decide to go absolutely manic. Because you turn the light off when you've got the TV on, so like, I must go watch the TV. I just, I can't. I think they're they're such a pointless animal, and they're such a like a, a like a ruiner of evenings. Should I we, do have a book related we... question. Oh, you, okay, I was going to say, should we? That I think will bring us back on track. Although I did you... try and push us towards Japan, and then <laughs> you did, but you took also us mentioned even further into the tangents. You also mentioned killing an insect with a book, so we are mm-hmm. getting closer. Um, but I. So you're a book designer. This is fascinating and wonderful and exciting uh, to me. And my immediate question, which I'm sure is obvious but needs to be asked, is what are your feelings on judging a book by its cover, both as a designer but also as a reader? Well, I think we all do it. I don't, I don't think there's anyone out there who doesn't judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. Um, I, fundamentally, the book cover is there to just hold some books, uh, hold some pages together as its kind of functional property. But it, it's it's a marketing tool, so it, it's designed to make people look at it and go, oh, well, I have a look at that. I might read the book. Um, so I, I think it's, A, completely natural for us, and B, is the intent of book covers. And certainly, I mean, I work with a lot of independent authors now, and that's the big thing is, like, you're supposed to design something that's really nice and thumbnail on Amazon to make yeah. people go, ooh, Maybe I'll stop and look at that. Um, so yeah, I, I just I, I don't I don't think any of us don't. I mean, I think we are 
as human beings very judgy i think that's kind of our natural state so <laughs> what's that um and i think the book covers back into that you know, he's utterly their intent to make us look at them and want to pick it up because it looks nice fair enough and why how did you get into book designing how did that <laughs> tell us your life journey and then maybe we'll get to the rest of the podcast. From shoelaces to <laughs> book design. No, I mean, give, us, I, give us the I, cliff's I, notes on yeah, how, how, I, how I did a lot this. of reading when I was younger. So I just really liked books. Um, and despite the fact that I am fundamentally kind of on a passion level of writing, I hated English in school. I had some really shit teachers. And so I just, I, I was drawn to graphic design. So I studied that. I studied that in university and just happened to specialize in book design while I was there. I was a branding designer for a long time, professionally. And then in the last three years, specialized in book design again. So that's why I worked for a bit as an aide at Design Studio. So it was very much just, I liked books, studied graphic design, did some books there as well. Um, and that's the, I like the really kind of. Very logical. Short version. Yeah. <laughs> I too liked uh, books. I, me too. Yeah. <laughs> what are the odds? Um, <laughs> so speaking of books and book covers, there are two different kinds. <laughs> Thank you. Some of my best segue and work right there. Um, sorry. Two different types. Paperback, hardback. Where basically whose team are you on? What is your preference? Um. So this is really kind of from a point of someone who reads and as a designer, uh, I, I just prefer paper. <laughs> I, I just, I, do you know what I like? I like the simplicity with which you just came to that truth. Like, I just like paper. Yeah. Well, I, so like, I think... As I a think designer hardback... and a reader, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, well, as a designer, hardback books are quite a pain to uh, design because they have a lot more dimensions um, and a lot more bits. I think they have a, a place in the industry. I think they are something that really does a good job of propping up traditional publishing. Um, because... And also, I often use hardback books to prop up my paperback yeah, books. So that, that, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're really good bookends. They're great bookends. Um, yeah, agreed. But, they, but <laughs> they, they, they don't cost much more than a paperback to produce, if anything. But you can mm -hmm. sell them for twice the price. So they're like a, they're economically very good. They are a sign of quality. You know, if a publisher says, hey, we're going to give a, you a hardback run, that means they really, they're really confident in your book and they're very good at selling books. But from a practical sense, unless they're a reference book that really needs to be kind of messed with, um, I just, I mean, I've got, I've got a copy somewhere of the complete works of H.P. Lovecraft, which is about that thick. And I can't read it. I physically cannot read it because it's too big. It's just too much. Um, and I'm not going to, you know, like say, buy a plinth so I can stand and stare down about, you know, I want to just like hold a book in front of me and, and, and paperbacks are, are just better than that. And also, I'm someone who quite lamely tends to walk around with a book in my back pocket. And you can't do that with a hardback. Um, not least because it would just pull your trousers down, but, you know, it's just, it's just too much. So I, I enjoy having wrists and therefore I will always kind of veer towards paper. Uh, and they're also much nicer to design as well. Just much we are very similar people, Jeffrey. Yeah, I feel like I could just leave now. I welcome. Um, I mean, I've expressed my preference, but also kind of said, "Oh, hardbacks are fine too." But no, I, I and it, you've also brought up some some facts that nobody ever has brought up uh, historically on this podcast about the actual 
differences between the, the publishing world and and why it is economical and why it is a, a sign of a publisher's you know faith in your your work. So very interesting points. I appreciate that. I still I stand by you. my team. Um, <laughs> they also take up a lot of space on they book, take up book a lot of space on the and bookshelves. I've only got two bookshelves. I don't. I don't. I can't afford the luxury of having hardbacks all over yeah so I, do, I have too many books already. also then the shelf will fall down and you yeah. only have one bookshelf you know also and and this is I, this hasn't colored my opinion so i don't want you to kind of but i i stubbed my toe quite badly on a copy of the oxford dictionary <laughs> to the point that the end like i've got like a really black toe um and like i say that hasn't colored my opinion on this but it's, <laughs> it's not helped the case of yeah. hardbacks well, it makes it makes all uh, the, the Oxford Dictionary. It makes, it makes the case. <laughs> I'm uh, moving to Collins. Stronger. I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Uh, okay. <laughs> Great. I mean, to, to segue, I will say that the copy of of Forest of Wool and Steel I have is hardback. <gasps> it's little though, because I so this. Yeah, is, this is the hardback I like. The yeah. little short hardback. This is the size that I. Yeah, yeah, I can get to like two hundred, under two hundred and fifty pages. I can get behind that. I do have to take the coat off because it's very annoying. But under 250 pages, I can I can just about work with that. But beyond, no. Yes, cool. I, I agree. Thank you, Jeffrey. Welcome to the best team in the world. Anyway, um, this is a book, The Forest of Wool and Steel, that it you sure have chosen. Um, I would very much love... For you to tell us in your own words, um, because I'm really just enjoying your candor, um, I would like for you to tell our listeners what this book is about. Well, it's actually a very simple book, uh, which is one of the things I like about it, is that it, it's about a chap called Tamura, who at the age of 17 uh, falls in love with the idea of piano tuning. And the book covers his, I suppose, journey to become not just a piano tuner, but a confident piano tuner. And it's one of those books that I really like in which the stories kind of come to the character rather than happen to him. Um, He's a piano tuner, and so he goes into a lot of people's houses and meets a lot of different people, meets a lot of characters because of that. It's kind of very similar to, uh, there was another book recently called uh, When the Coffee Gets Cold, which is about a cafe. And so all the stories come into the cafe like that on sounds good. Netflix, there's a show called Midnight Diner where all the, all the stories come into the diner. I think it's a really interesting style of story, and this is one of those. Um, and that's really it. I mean, I it's it's a story that kind of really examines ambition and kind of almost the line between it and obsession. And while it's about piano tuning, I think it's also about writing as well because it is a book of, of a character full of self-doubt who is constantly asking for advice, constantly getting pretty obscure, useless advice, um, and just fundamentally eventually finding his way. Um, that's it, I think. Yeah, I think you've put it very well. I was curious, kind of, this is a very different book than one that we've talked about before in that, like, there's not a lot of plot. Not a lot happens. No, no. Um, um, it's, it's very... So much of it happens yeah. kind of almost in the office or at work, which is very odd. I think um, I think in the West, 
we have a way of uh, vilifying ambition. And I think there was a uh, there was a trend kind of in the early two thousands in films where you'd essentially have a, a career woman who was really career driven, really ambitious, and they would get cured by meeting a man. Um, <laughs> And that was like the plot that they they would be like. Um, Jeffrey, that was not fun. a trend in two thousand. That is just called women's life. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but I, I, I think to I, be cured I, by a man that comes riding in on some stallion to save you from whatever world you have created for yourself. But specifically in this case, <laughs> ambition and you know being career driven. I think it was kind of exemplified in the Devil Wears Prada, mm-hmm. where you have you know the villain of the piece is Meryl Streep, who is this who we watch kind of her marriage crumble because she is just this brilliant editor. And that's something you kind of, you, you, you kind of only get after another watch. Like she, she's not just career driven. She's fantastic at what she does. And actually the real villain of the piece is the boyfriend who wants Andy to conform to rom-com tropes of like, I'm here. I'm inexplicably a brilliant chef. Why am I enough? And, and we don't really get these stories where ambition is celebrated. Whereas I think that's what Forrest Gordon Steele does. You have this character who is completely passionate about what he's doing. And no one ever really tries to stop him doing that. Uh, no one really discourages him. You know, sometimes they're a bit like, you're a bit weird. Man. But otherwise, it's a case of like, they're very sincere in trying to help him get where he wants to get. They don't necessarily understand why he's doing it, why he wants to be the best piano in the world. But they, they understand that that is what he wants to do. And you get that also with um, the twins, with Kazuno, where she wants to be, you know, a, a brilliant pianist. And apart from her mum kind of going like, oh, I just want to make any money. No one ever kind of questions that. And I think that that's, in, in a Western book, that would be something that would need to be, might I say, cured. And they would, have, they would have to find other things. Whereas in this, being single-minded and being almost obsessive about what you're doing, because you're so passionate about it, you actually celebrate. Hmm. Yeah, that's put really well. I think there's no there's no plot. There is, of course, a plot, but not a lot happens. But it is such a beautiful bit of writing. Like it's just, I kind of put it down. I was like, that's just like a lovely little book, isn't it? Like it's just a nice, beautifully written, lovely journey to go on, even though it's a pretty ordinary journey it's there's not a ton of action or surprise or suspense or mystery there's no peril to it there's, there's no, no peril there's no point where he he seems like he's not going to make it yeah you know except when he like tunes the piano back um, <laughs> there's something truer um you know just vastly truer to life about that most people's lives are a bit boring and a bit ordinary and you just sort of plod along and you work hard at something and you try and do better at one thing and you try and learn from the mistakes you've made before and if you have a goal in mind you work towards achieving that goal and it's not dramatic and it's not particularly full of action very rarely do superheroes appear from the sky it it's just life and I quite I liked it the pace of it was just very normal it just reminded me of going into music shops and flicking through music I think it's the perfect length yeah oh god yeah it couldn't have been longer oh no yeah absolutely I think it's just and I think that's something that Japanese literature does really well where I think in the UK you know you get a lot of word counts (laughs) you know you you have like you're writing this sort of story you have to submit a a novel that's 80,000 whereas I think in in Japan and Korea as well they kind of say oh you can publish something that's like 50 pages 
Um, I think it's a very introspective book. I think it's a lot of what, what happens in the book is in his head. He's having kind of, he's thinking about things. And again, that's something we don't really see in Western media or Western books. They, they tend to be sharper and kind of quicker and like a bit more choppy. Um, and, and I really like that about Japanese books in general. I, I think part of what makes it so readable is that Philip Gabriel translated it. And he is a, a really established translator of Japanese fiction. He's worked on a lot of Furuki Murakami novels. Um, and, and my feeling about this, having read a lot of Furuki Murakami, is that it's kind of it's almost as if Furuki, like it's a Furuki Murakami novel written by a woman. So it doesn't have all the gross stuff in it, but it still has that really kind of fresh, slow, introspective prose where you can just relax into it. But it doesn't leave a bad taste in your mouth because he's talking about like his, his dead sister's boobs or something. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think Philip Gabriel has a, should take a lot of credit for that, but I just I just think it's such like a fresh, beautiful novel that yeah, nothing really happens in it. You don't get like carried along in this kind of roaring plot, but when, when you put it down, you go like, yeah, that was that was really nice. Yeah, and in a positive way, not in that kind of way like English teachers go, like, you can't use nice as a stupid word. It's just like, yeah, it's a really <laughs> it's a really nice book. Yeah, I think that's it. Like that's it. Just has this little like warm feeling of being just yeah exactly right like it's really nice it's really lovely and that's about it it's it's I was curious how you were gonna talk about like what it's about because it is such a simple story um and the thing that stands out about it like you said is that is the way it's written um I just I I absolutely loved how I basically, I really loved, especially I, I mean, Beck and I both are music people and music lovers and sometimes music makers. Um, and I just really fell so in love with this, how much he loved the sound of a piano and also. And he's not it, a pianist. Exactly. Well, which is really great. So exactly you, you, you right. get it from a technical sense. So he explains a lot of stuff about the piano. But he loves the piano despite the fact he cannot play it at all. Yeah. And it's not like a vocational thing. It's like a genuine appreciation of, of the music. And I love that he 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 appreciates it so much as someone who can't make it, um, who who he's really good at the technical bit, but has no idea how the music is made. He he studies it in a way that's very technical, even just like I'm going to listen to all of these piano musicians just to hear more piano music it's this strange thing but but when he describes the sound of the piano it's like this beautiful organic you know thing where he compares it to the forest and this journey through the forest and and it's just such a beautiful way of writing about music um and that really got me like that really got me in the heart um as a music lover, but I also kind of love that you can be passionate about something, even if you can't do it and you can find a way to show your appreciation for it. And you can find a way to work within it and to have it be a part of who you are and of your life without having to be the one on the stage performing. And that really stuck with me as well. I thought that's a beautiful story that doesn't get told really ever. And what a refreshing way of looking at that. Yeah, I, I I really can't put my finger on it because I, I also do a bit of music as well, very much as a hobby. 
So it, but it's like when I think it's, it, it's almost like how people appreciate sport. You know, people who, who will watch like a football game. I don't know much about football, but I, I assume people watch football games and know that they're not as good as the people but can speak for hours about it because they love it so much and they can appreciate how good someone else is. And I think it's almost a bit like that. I think it's a really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I think it's a really relatable, but I think it's a really relatable character, certainly for me. Um, not just because I'm also an ambitious and career-driven person, but I think he's, he's also a bit, he embraces his own idiosyncrasies. Like there's a whole sequence where he goes into that, that club to watch his kind of mentor play drums for a bit and he's standing in the corner because he's really uncomfortable he's sitting there going oh the ginger ale's a bit sweet i'm not going to drink it but the woman at the bar is glaring at him because he won't drink his ginger ale and i was just sitting there going, like why have you put me in this book i don't like i don't like that you've described me going to a bar um and i, and I think there are, there are every character in the book has that you know you've got mr yanagi who's this 28 year old guy who sounds 40 <laughs> who doesn't like phone boxes because they're painted a certain way, or he thinks the roads are filthy. You've got uh, Mr. Itadori who hates flying, so a pianist has to come to him, to his tiny little town to get his piano tune. You've got Mr. Aquino who hates traffic, so he comes in really early when there's no traffic. And I, and I really like that, that there's, there's so many idiosyncratic characters in this very small, kind of almost limited window we're given into as well. We, you know, For all we know, Tamura has no friends. Because no one ever mentions it. You know, he has his brother who he clearly thinks is a significantly more together person than he is. But you only really see him from, you know, the people at work. And they are all really weird. And I really, I really like that. And I think that and I think that comes through in how they all appreciate the piano in different ways. Um, and, and address it. And I think that if it, if it was a story about pianists, it wouldn't be as effective as being a story about four or five different piano tunes and, and the different ways in which they do it and why. So I think you're absolutely right. It's like it's, it's an incredible appreciation of music from a, a point of view that we don't normally get. Yeah. I think a really relatable story as well for that and for you know all the characters being absolutely mad. <laughs> but we're all a bit mad. I think probably that's why I appreciate it. I'm like, yeah, I'm weird. I'm, <laughs> I'm even though I- I often find ginger ale too sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so relatable. It so often yeah, is too sweet. Why it do really you put so yeah. much sugar in it? Because like you want it for the ginger flavor, right? And yeah. ginger isn't a sweet thing. So why am I actually just tasting candy? Well, to be fair, I don't think I want ginger ale to be like spicy. I don't want it spicy, <laughs> like, but I don't. I don't uh, want but... it like gummy bear sweet. You know. Yes, yeah, just give me a glass of carrot please. Uh, but you know, I, I but I, there are those. It's it's one of those books that yes, there's an overarching thing that's really like, but there are these tiny moments that really make you go, yeah, that's me. Um, and again, it's one of those books where people will just stop and think about something, and it'll be a really beautiful metaphor. It's not like just a, a wanky piece of prose that someone wants to like flex their muscles on. It's <laughs> genuinely. Like, you know, the, the way he describes music as a forest. It's just brilliant. I say he, it, it's her, it's not Sonia Shita, you know, she's the one doing it. But, you know, the way the, the, the way they address this idea of the forest, it's just, it's, it never gets repetitive. Yeah. Because it's just, it's just done so well. Uh, it's one, I'm, this is just because I love this book, but it's one of those rare occasions where I look at it and like, this is almost like a perfect book. 
perfectly crafted story or book. You know, it's it's there's no point where I go, oh, I'm fed up with this. I want to put it down. You know, it's just it's just so, it just carries you along so well uh, and so nicely. I keep saying nice, but it really is just so nice. <laughs> it's just a nice book. I just want to see your your Goodreads review. It's like five stars. Nice, and we can print that. Like on, on the front. Cover, on the yeah. front. Nice. 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 Jeffrey Bunting. <laughs> but you can't put any of my other reviews on books covers, unfortunately. There you go. The last book that I read that I didn't like, which I also actually found interesting, I found I thought it was uh, Tokyo Vice by Jake Adelstein. And he's a he's a journalist who he's a he's a he's a I don't know, I think he's American. He's an American journalist who's worked in Japan. And he's describing his experiences of all the different things. He reported from the accused and what. And it's, it's very interesting. But he, as a person, and how he describes himself and how he puts it, is such an unspeakably unpleasant person that it makes the book horrible to read. Like he, like like people die in that, and he's just like, oh, this is how it affected me. You know, like, it's just it's just so horrible. But 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 with some really interesting stuff. So that's like the last book I really went, yeah. That was that was a, a book I did not like, uh, but again, you know, I tend to just put them down. Yeah, I think yeah. the last book that I did not finish was It oh. by Stephen oh, King. Oh God, yeah. King. yeah. And I love Stephen King, and I think uh, there's a lot of Stephen King books that I like. So I thought it's Stephen King. I've got to, and it's It, which everybody knows and so loves, and the films, blah blah blah. Um, I just could not care less. I got maybe. It's just uh, maybe, so long, isn't it? It's like so a thousand pages. Long. Yeah. It's, even the paperback is so. Th- I I think I I must have donated it. I don't have it on my shelves. Um, I wanted to. I wanted to read it. I love Stephen King. I'm a big fan of his work. I mean, on writing, which obviously is his like autobiography, is one of the best books. Uh, like I love it more than anything. I'm like a massive fan of his work so I was really disappointed that I was just like I just can't get into this and it's not even like he's written eight million books it's not even like oh just one of his newer releases that never really <laughs> it, it's it's one of his like seminal books and I just like I can't I don't care about these children I don't like children why is this clown around yeah I, I'm not I'm just not I don't get it I'm really sorry I, th- I think I think there is like a a limit to creativity to an extent. You've run out. I think, yeah. <laughs> Not um, everything you produce is going to be great. Yeah. I mean, David uh, Bowie think, even had some records that I don't love, and I do not oh, say yeah. that like, lightly. Loads of David Bowie shit was rubbish, <laughs> but 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 made worse by the fact that the rest of it was so good. Yes, and that's the worst thing is when you have someone who's like got a really like high ceiling, and then yeah. they just go all the way down. Whereas yeah. if someone's like kind of there and there, it's like oh, okay, you can let it. Yeah. But, but you know, I, I think Tin Machine now, probably was not his best idea. But he had lots of great ideas, and thank thank God there are more of those than Tin Machines. God bless you. I'm sorry, I miss you every day. But I um, think it's the nature of of the industries as well, where you you have to put everything out like every year, mm. whereas actually you could probably do with a bit of a break, <laughs> uh, yeah. like a few years, and then you know have a comeback where you release something really good. Um, that, that being I think said, that's... Harper Lee did that, and who did that? Didn't really. Harper Lee. Oh uh, yeah. Don't, don't to be fair that. I mean, that how many years did she leave it? Sixty. But to be fair to she, her, she it never wanted that released. Her, was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she yeah. never wanted it released anyway. So, um, but yeah, I think you know that's the 
that's the nature of creativity and that's the nature of learning your craft which is exactly what this this book is about it's telling us you know you can't thank you very much guys thank you (laughs) chef's kit i'm gonna derail the beautiful sentence by commenting on it that was amazing even uh planet just just came out of my the best segues Um, do happen that way but yeah the the idea that you are supposed to be everything from the top and then you stay everything you know, we, we put so much pressure on ourselves to, you know, also, this is the thing you've decided with, to do with your life. So you better be really fucking good at it. Oh, you're not very good at it. Oh, SARS, you're rubbish. Because learning by its nature means that you're not the best you can be ever. Because you mm. should always be learning from the thing that you've done before. You should always be learning what's from what's around you. So ideally, like you, everything you produce um, will have been built by from what you've done before everything you create will have something of what you've done before in it you're constantly learning and constantly growing and that means that there will be times when you don't quite get it right but from not getting it right you learn something better about how to do it next time mm-hmm. and we see that this whole time in this journey of this book it's like oh, I totally messed this up oh but actually from watching this guy do it or from the experience of messing it up from the anxiety of not being good enough I have learned a way to do it which works for me and we're very infrequently given the opportunity to both learn what works for us as individuals rather than just to be this sort of mass version of success and ability to learn ways of just doing things for ourselves in a way which works for us and also to learn our, our craft and find our voice in that and find our own direction and find the ways that we create and we exist within whatever field we are existing in we don't get that opportunity a lot yeah and and this book really showed I think why giving time and gentleness Mm. and experience allows us to become ourselves more fully well I think it I think it it shows the process in in a really and it shows everything he does so it's not just like oh I'm working as a piano tuner I'm working it talks about how he reads about it, how he tunes the pianos every night. Um, whereas I'll see in a lot of other things, you'll see someone who is X, they have a job and they are already at the top of their game. You don't see the kind of the journey towards it. And I think that's kind of, it's really hard then to relate to that and also to kind of get anything positive out of that. If all you were seeing are people who have already accomplished great things, and, you know, at, at, at the I, I'm I'm not a fan of um, authors who give like writing advice, for instance, because they've already done it. You know, so they're always they're they're always their advice always seems to come from a, like a professional standpoint. Like Steve, mm. you talk about on writing by Stephen King, which is a book I actually really don't like, um, mostly because I, I his his thing is like this is how you should write. And it's like yeah, that's all right for you, Stephen, who's already an established author, Mister. You, know, you should write. You know, a first draft should only take a month. You should write three to six thousand words a day. It's like well, not all of us can do that. It's, that's not helpful. Um, and and so like seeing a a story, which is all process. Like he did. It's not like at the end he's a brilliant tuner who's tuning for like you know, one of the greatest pianists ever. He's literally tuning for this local teenager at a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and and the big thing for him is that 
change the pedals a little bit. And that's a big triumph of the book. That, oh my God, that... spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, sure. At some point, the piano tune of the book changes some pedals. Shocking. Spoiled. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, it's like there's no, he hasn't achieved anything at the end, really, yeah. except he's just become slightly better. He's a little bit further along in the journey. I, I think, think that's, that's what's really beautiful about great. it, though. And and I think that is this this thing that I've been kind of reaching for, this intangible, like, why do I love, like, this book? And it, it is something about, like, just, like, having ordinary little wins be good enough. You know, we we are not told that story. We are not told that that story is exceptional. We are always told that we should be striving for more and achieving and being at the top of your game and and all of this. It's just so, there's so much pressure. And I almost feel like something in this book just like releases that a little bit. It's like he's living a very ordinary life and doing a very it is an extraordinary job when you think about it there's so much skill and like involved it's not but it's not something you would ever think about being like wow what a phenomenal career to have be a piano tuner you know and it's so nice to read that story and to have nothing exceptional happen at the end but well, I, I think a it, little bit of it, growth and self-awareness yeah. and and him being okay with himself i think is the real exceptional you know lesson that you get in the end is like he's he's suddenly like let the pressure off of himself and and I felt that very much because I feel like I'm on a little bit of a journey of doing that myself um and so I just it's so nice I like want more books like this but I think that's his like when you when you talk about writing there's always like a change that characters have to go through and in a lot of stories it's very dramatic I think his thing is just he gets a bit of self-assurance he goes from this person who's very much like, I am terrible at this. Oh, look, Mr. Itadori is so good. He's doing his concert piano. And then at the end, he's just kind of like, yeah, I'll change his mind. Whatever. <laughs> and, you know, I think someone, had, yeah, you know, it's, it's just, it's such a kind of, it's it's a, a tiny move from I have no confidence to, you know, the ginger ale's too sweet to actually I have a bit of confidence now. I think I'm going to make it. I think I'm going to, be able to do this thing and I, and I i i think you're right that's not a story we see you know we i we, we always seem to get stories where someone's doing something and then something amazing happens almost on a whim and they become x you know yeah i i was what was it oh it's uh, 50 shades of gray right the film <laughs> i haven't read the book but in the film i i believe she is work. she gets a job at a, a literary agent or a publisher's like very very quickly out yeah. of university, like a really good publisher. Yeah, that doesn't. So happen a, you have that a, which never life. happens, and then b, her weird abusive boyfriend <laughs> buys the publisher or something, and then makes her the head editor. And it's just oh, like, and, and that's the kind of stories we get. Yeah, we don't get this like this tiny little bit of progression that's just actually just a step on the way. I think we are very, 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 very told that um, taking the time to learn who you are and learn how to be and learn, you know, to grow as a person, we're never told that that's actually a really valuable, really incredible thing. And it is a really it valuable, really it's like there's nothing more amazing than spending the time to care for yourself 
and let yourself grow into the person you're going to be tomorrow. I think that's probably one of the most amazing things that anyone can ever do for themselves. And yet what we're told in TV and books and everything outside of us is that to be amazing, you have to be the best of all the other people. You have to be constantly striving against other people. And we're never told that actually just being with yourself is a really incredible thing. Being the best you can be for yourself, which really just means listening to yourself and learning. That is an amazing thing. So we say that nothing amazing happens in this book, but actually we say that because what we're told is amazing of all these other things. And actually that's not what's amazing. What is amazing is exactly what this guy does in this book, which is strive to learn, strive to listen, strive to discover and grow. What an incredible thing. I think what's great about that as well is that this is a Japanese book. And obviously Japan has a, a very poor reputation for kind of workers' rights and, and how um, people function. And it's it's fundamentally the the image, albeit slightly stereotypical, but there is some truth in it that we get of Japan is of very hardworking people who've got obscene hours into things. And yet here's a book that is Japanese telling Japanese people fundamentally that these incremental improvements are, are good. And yes, this person is working very hard, but they're doing it kind of almost in a healthy way. I think what we often get are these abstracts. I think it's in the book somewhere. They talk about like the idea of 10,000 hours mm-hmm. to improve. And it is very quickly quashed by everybody else. And that's stupid. That's the stupidest thing. <laughs> it's not 10,000. Because that's what we get normally. Is like these abstract kind of almost numbers of like what it takes to be brilliant. You know, if you think about all the really stupid stuff we get from idiots like Elon Musk about how to be successful. You'd get like 4am and be appalling as a human Run being. 12k, then come home and yeah. eat some egg whites and then lift up a bus and then build a... <laughs> I made celery into a drink and that's why I'm successful. I mean, to be it's fair. Just, I, but that, yeah, I do. Back has been celery juicing, so... <laughs> and I am amazing. <laughs> Right, and now you're a successful entrepreneur because that's all it takes. Literally, but actually, right? but that's what that's that's the stuff that we in the West are presented mm-hmm. these kind of really unpleasant people like Jeff Bezos and the myths of their kind of success that we all try and emulate. And, and that's exactly what I want to counteract and, because I celery juice and I'm a complete failure. So it's not <laughs> it's it's not a truth that by doing these things we immediately become amazing because we're all just ordinary people. And yeah. we have I mean, different my, lives. My, my cat wakes me up at four o'clock every morning and I'm not a successful writer. Right? Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. You have I'm just really tired. Built a solar plane today or lifted a bus that I'm aware of, unless you're modest in keeping it to yourself, which I also appreciate in a human being. So Well, I I will say no, I haven't lifted a bus. Okay. Not today. Well, what the fuck are you but doing not with ever life, Jeffrey? <laughs> exactly. But, they, but those are the sort of narratives Jesus, that we have. And yeah. you know, and like, like on Twitter and stuff, if you sit there and go, like, that's stupid, you'll get piled on by all these people who kind of worship yeah. success. Yeah. And actually, this is kind of a narrative that shows like a different kind of success, yeah. a healthier success, a more personal success. Because yeah. Tamura is, is worried about what people think about him. He obviously gets like people who cancel on him and stuff and like it makes mistakes. But so much of what he's doing is inward. Yeah. It's all about like his consideration of how well he's doing. And it, sometimes that translates to him like not being able to take 
people's advice, like so Amnesty and Ag is like, no, you're doing fine, don't worry. Um, but it, it's it's such a kind of focused success, and it's the kind of we we probably made this point so many times. It's the kind of narrative we never see yeah. because we're so kind of we're so tunnel vision towards that kind of point way in the distance, yeah, and that hope success whereas this is like a very realistic very reachable kind of goal for him yeah uh, is to just be kind of all right at this and like you know the the joy is in the process and in the thing itself not in the success yeah and i think that's what this story is and i i want more stories like this i, I think like for me at the end of the book i really feel like he's probably going to be happy yeah. You know what I mean, I do. I, you look at him, you, you just think he's going to be a happy dude. <laughs> like he's going to be so cool with this. Yeah, um, and how lovely is and, that? And, yeah, exactly. Like, and when when do we when do we when do we get that impression from something that mm. this person is in a realistic sphere, just going to be really happy doing what they do? At no point is there any mention of salary or you know, kind of his living conditions. Like, you know, is he living in a really place? It's just like now nah, he is just going to be so content with his life from now on now that he's kind of not a dreadful piano player. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think that's beautiful. I, I wonder, and I think maybe it's obvious based on what we've said, but who who would you recommend this book to and why? Well I think firstly, you know, if you if you enjoy um Japanese literature, if you enjoy Haruka Murakami think you'll get a kick out of this because it is the same translator uh, I think if you are doing something you're passionate about you will connect with this a lot I mean I I've like said I don't know anything about piano tuning and for me this is almost a book about writing mm. because it, it just taps into all those kind of insecurities we have in everything we do. Um, so I think if you are if you have a passion and if you're following it and you're doing your best for it this is just the perfect kind of farm for all the other kind of insecurities that are implanted within us by the stories we see. And I think also if you're if you're struggling to read, mm-hmm. and if you're just a bit overwhelmed by kind of Western books, because like I say, like for me, I feel like a lot of Western books now are really kind of almost prescriptive in, in how they work, and they're very quick, and everything's about being you know, getting there as quickly as possible and starting as close to the end of but I think it's just a really nice balm to all of kind of the issues with Western publishing. I think it's just it's it's yes its themes are really great, but I think it's its tempo is just fantastic for relaxing with a book. Because I think there are times when you read a book and it's impossible to relax with it because the book itself is is the issue. And I th- I think that's kind of growing in, in when we're examining it examining kind of things from different spheres as we're, we're all kind of trying to work on ourselves and be more progressive. Um, so like something like Haruka Murakami, like I mentioned, that you know, he, he writes some gross stuff about women. And it, it, it makes it hard to read because you are examining that from like this kind of new look of trying to better yourself, hopefully. I mean, if you're not, maybe you should. You should. Um, and that's present in kind of everybody. I think this is one of those books that doesn't really have those issues. And so it can really just carry you along just by the strength of the story. Mm. And you, you end up finishing it before you even realise it. 
know, you, you make progress with that. Whereas, like for me, a lot of the time, I'm like, right, I've read 50 pages. That's enough for now. I'm going to go do this. Was something that you just I've read it three times, and every time it's oh, I've read, oh, I didn't realize I'm already halfway through the book. You know, I, I had to take a break on Wednesday to make sure that I finished it yesterday. So it's pressure my mind <laughs> because I was just racing through it. So I, I think I think those are probably the people I, people who are fed up with Western books people who are passionate about something. I mean, if you are a piano tuner, I think you're probably going to be really into this book, <laughs> actually. Um, if that is your... I think you, I think you're... This is one of those few times that you are represented effectively. Dear piano tuners, yeah. your time <laughs> has come. Our, our piano tuning audience are really going to love this episode. Got to hit that middle yeah, C. I, it's, it's funny, because it, it's a sort of... Like, the way I found it, and this is probably just like a bit of a cautionary tale for the internet. It's, like, it's just thrown at me by every single advert I, I saw. It was like, you know, like whether it was Amazon, whether it was Goodreads, whatever. It's just everybody's going, you've got to read this book. And I eventually just came. Hmm. And I'm so glad I did because it, it's just, I think it would be gauche to say, oh, well, it changed my life. But it's just one of those things where, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as a rubbish writer, Kind of reading this, just me went, yeah, okay, maybe it's maybe it's not about like maybe it's about the process. Maybe, you know, it, it just gives it shows you how you know how you're supposed to be enjoying things, and so I think it could appeal to everyone. Yeah, including but not limited to piano tunes. <laughs> uh, Jeffrey, thank you for your time and for your candor and. Um... For the lessons learned, which many for of so I many be lessons away with me, both literary and otherwise, stocking braces. <laughs> yeah, I'm seriously. I'm like, can we finish stocking. this so I can get on <laughs> to this shopping? Um, where can our listeners find you and your works on the interwebs? Uh, you can find me at jeffreybunting.co.uk, uh, which links to everything, including my Twitter, my uh, blog, which is on Medium. And my new YouTube channel, which I never update. Um, <laughs> and I think that's it. I don't think I, I don't have a strong internet presence. I mean, that uh, sounds pretty strong. Jeffrey, but I have a very comprehensive website. Important <laughs> question: um, Do you or have you ever designed bunting? Um, I genuinely want to know because I feel like there's a really solid marketing strategy for that bunting by bunting yeah i have not however whenever i have to tell people my name i firstly have to tell them that it's jeffrey with a g and then because everyone wants to call me bunton i say and bunting like the flag or if they don't get that or the bird Nice. So, well, that helps everyone also know how to spell your URL. So that's very helpful. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Jeffrey with a G, buntingaboutheflag.co.uk. Like Perfect. Nailed it. Hire me because I'm poor. <laughs> Hire all of us. Hire everyone. Yes. We are okay. all poor. Yeah. Tis, tis the season. Uh, sorry. All right. Well, thank you the end so you want me to read a quote now don't you? oh shit yes. how you... yeah <laughs> I, was, I, 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 I was just watching as we were like barreling towards the end with this book in my head going like, like 
is this, how, how are they going to segue to that now? We, oh, are, we are professionals. Just because I've thrown something. He's like, um, what is happening? We're very professional. Um, now that you've told us about all the people that should read this book, maybe to entice them into it, you should read us a little... A little section. This could be really awkward if I don't fuck it up. I think this is a a a, a short passage that um, kind of sums up the book in a lot of ways. No pressure, Jeffrey. Um, With a G. And I shall I shall begin. Mister Itadori pressed each key repeatedly, paused, then pressed again, listening intently to the quality of the sounds as he manipulated his tuning hammer. Something was approaching. What it was, I couldn't say. My heart was pounding. I had the premonition that something immense was drawing near. I could see gently sloping mountains, the scenery from the house I was born and raised in. The mountains I had never really given much thought to, nor ever stopped to look at much. But I now recall how they would look strangely vibrant and alive the morning after a storm. And I realised what I'd taken simply as mountains, including so very much more. Soil and trees, flowing water, grass growing, the blowing of the wind animals of all kinds. One spot in the distance came to sharp focus, a single tree growing on the mountainside, its green leaves rustling. And so it was for the sound of the piano. The instant Mr. Itadori tuned it, what had been merely an indistinct tone now became lustrous, lingering and vibrant. Single notes now began to leap ahead, entwining with the others, taking on depth in tone and timber, from leaf to a tree, from a tree to a forest, and to the very mountains themselves. Soon it would transform into music. In that moment, I sensed I had been a lost child, wandering aimlessly in search of a purpose. Call it a purpose or a sign, a landmark or a feeling. I knew this was the sound I'd been seeking. As long as I had this sound, I could live. This was all I could be sure of. I recalled myself ten years earlier, how I'd felt free in the forest, incomplete, not yet liberated from the constraints of the body, but still utterly free. The gods of my world then were the trees, the leaves, the berries, the soil. But now it was sound that guided me. The end. That was nice. It was nice, wasn't it? <laughs> and if you liked that, I heard it. Go ahead. There's a lot more in the book. <laughs> Your Own Words is hosted by Alison Dunnings and Becky Graham. Our theme music is by Natasha Pasternak. If you like this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. Read along with us at yowpod.com.